Hey, this is Chris with Your Church Friends, and I'm starting this episode off just to give you guys a listener's discretion is advised. We're going to be going over some topics and some subjects today that might be a little inappropriate for children or even teenagers. So if you have any of those with you while you're listening to this, we would just advise that you turn off the podcast and listen to it later without them in the room. It's good stuff, and we cover it biblically. We just don't think that as parents ourselves, we would want our children to listen to this. So we're just giving you a little warning or a heads up. Enjoy. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Murdoch. So we're continuing the Sermon on the Mount. But before we do that, I feel like we dropped the ball and didn't talk about who we were or anything about us in the first three episodes. So if you've been listening, you just kind of... No, we're guys who like to talk a lot, but Murdoch, tell me about you. Well, first thing you know about me is that you can find more of an introduction about me on our YouTube videos, which released prior to this podcast, which is kind of funny because we wanted to release the podcast first, but it just ended up being the videos. So I think that's where when we came to doing the podcast episodes, it wasn't, oh, we're launching, let's introduce. Um, but yeah, me, I'm 31 now. Yeah, I am 31, married, have a nine-year-old daughter. She's fantastic. My kind of walk with Christianity has been all over the place. I was raised in the church, a missionary family. We went overseas to Scotland, where my dad's from. So we spent five years over there, my elementary school years. Came back, and as soon as we came back from Scotland, I was about 10. I basically just started wiling out. And it was a weird thing, because I would be involved in the church, like in what we call the church ministries, right? I was part of the tech team or part of like the acting or the different stuff. But then I would also go out and like get high (laughs) in between (laughs) services and yeah and that just kept progressing to the point of then leaving the church and I really didn't quite know what the church was about I knew that I was raised in it okay God exists and stuff but it didn't really have that big of an impact or that big of a hold on me so went just got into the party life and did all that for several years and then God moved back into my life in a pretty major way and I was able to just get away from all of that which is fantastic and that's a story for another time (laughs) lots of stories for another time with within all of that um but then getting back into the church that was interesting um just because then god called me to be a pastor pretty soon from there so i started moving more into ministry and started getting tutored by uh, my senior pastor and kind of showing me the ropes but then i had another thing going in the church of which i started realizing hey not all of the things that these Christian people do have anything to do with the Bible. And then I started looking at, hey, wait a minute. The Christians say that the Jews missed out on Jesus coming, but then Muslims are saying that the Christians missed out on Muhammad coming. So I was like, if I'm truly seeking God, I've got to go read the Quran. And that just led into years of looking at all the different world religions and looking at all kinds of stuff. I almost ended up as like a Christian mystic at the end of it, which is kind of like, yeah, they're all kind of the same story. And that goes... But then luckily, a good understanding of, oh, Christianity is different, and here's why. And Mm. that's what really set me into where I am now of just, no, I'm fully convinced and into this thing. And you said, hey, tell me about yourself. And I ended up just giving giving the Christian story because the more and more that I look at it, it's like, hey, you know, I like riding my bike. I like doing a few different things like that. But really, when I look at my life, it's like it really all does revolve something around this Christian thing now. So if anybody talks with me, I'll probably be pretty quiet or, you know, I can talk about things. But 
if I start talking and getting excited, it's probably going to be about what God is doing in the world or could be doing. I don't know if that's what you were looking for, but no, that's what you got. No, because now you're going to make me look terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah. When you, you, you just admitted to getting high in the church and doing all kinds of... Oh, I didn't say it was in the church. I, yeah, it was in the church. But anyways, I'll stop talking. Go for it. I picked up two things from that. Um, one, when you said a Christian mystic, for some odd reason, I envisioned Gandalf. So now you're Gandalf to me. And I'm probably just going to talk about me being a lame person who likes to garden, who has uh, chickens and loves them. I like pro wrestling, actually tried to be a pro wrestler at one point in my life, and that led me to back pain. I'm married. (laughs) And notice how the married came after all that stuff. Uh, Married with uh, two kids, a boy and a little girl. And um, I was pastoring for about 10 years before I kind of had some issues at home that we had to address. And then we took care of that. And now doing this with the podcast, but also the same thing like you grew up in the church, had moments where I kind of went my own way and tried to do things my own way. And then they weren't long, so God brought me back pretty quickly, um, but didn't go into the whole mystic arts as you did. <laughs> the mystic arts? Yeah. <laughs> You're making me sound way cooler than it was. It wasn't just... All right. <laughs> yeah, but that's us. Um, so I'm Chris, and again, Murdoch, and we're church friends. We just want to let you guys know a little bit about us uh, as you kept listening. So today we're going into the Sermon on the Mount. We're hitting a portion that... Uh, Before we even get into it, I'll probably put a little disclaimer, like if you have young children in the car or with you, probably lower the volume or listen to it later, because Jesus kind of hits a new area. And and with the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is kind of hitting everyone from like outward stuff to inward. So wait, real quick, before you go there, we are going to be talking about lust. Yes. So that's where, take a pause right now. That's what's coming up. So really just pause it if you do have kids, because... That's where this goes before we continue the conversation. Yeah, we're going to be getting into the lusty stuff. But Jesus is looking for real, like I was saying, real transformation. He wants it to go beyond an outward thing that we do, and he wants it to be an inward thing. So he starts off, verse 27, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So here's Jesus. And when he references the you have heard it said, he's referencing the Ten Commandments, right? Right. So he's going taking us back into Exodus 2014 and the, the commandment, do not commit adultery. Which is interesting, because if you were caught in adultery in the Old Testament, you would, they would stone you to death. Yeah, I mean, there's different things going on as far as who is involved and in whether married or not married, and whether you screamed out for help or whether you didn't. There's, you know, different things. But generally, yeah, it was going to mean death. Again, it's kind of like what Jesus gets into here is this. I guess he's warning us that the battle is, that the battle is for our mind here. Like it goes beyond just what we physically can see that the, the battle is in our, our minds and he wants his followers to deal with sin where it starts in our mind and in our emotions. Um, Chuck Swindoll said this uh, about lust within the church. It is the greatest cancer in the church. It is too late to say we will give it time and let's pray about it. And I, I thought that was really cool. I don't actually even know when he said that could have been like a decade ago, but it's 100 percent true. Yeah, Chuck's been around for a while, so. Yeah. Yeah, it is too late. And I think that that's what we really need to understand when we're looking at this is 
we live in a society that is so over-sexualized that that's what pretty much anybody who's hearing this right now, whether, you know, you, if you're a little bit on the older side and you went through the whole free love revolution of, you know, 60s, 70s, or, you know, you're growing up and you're Generation Z right now and you just have full-blown access to any form of media on the internet. Like, we are just part of an over-sexualized society. And it's far too late to think that, like, uh, this isn't a serious problem for us to really grapple with. Right. When Jesus here says here, so he says, uh, you know, you have heard it said that, it, you know, do not commit adultery. But when he says, but I tell you that anyone looks at a woman lustfully, what is he talking about? All right. Well, one, I think that is great. Like he's definitely not saying, hey, what those guys told you before is stupid. It's like definitely don't commit adultery, you know, but like we've talked in the previous podcast, let's get into the heart of the issue and looking at a woman with lust there that my translation in the ESV says with lustful intent. Right. So it brings in that intent. Mm -hmm. And that's where a previous pastor of mine basically boiled it down to the easiest way of understanding it. If I could, I would, you know, it's not oh, wow, look, that person's really pretty or, you know, anything of that. It's, wow, you know what? If I could, I would. Whether you're single or whether you're married, it's if you could and you would, that's the lustful intent. Also looking at it, you know what? You're looking around every moment of the day that your eyes are open. If you happen to look at somebody and see that they're attractive, there's no issue there. But if you go back for the second look or it turns into the staring and those that turns into the thoughts, it's like, you couldn't control the first look. You can definitely control the second. Uh, that's what I, I think I was hoping you'd get into because for people who are listening, I want them to really understand like it's not looking at someone and be like, oh, they're attractive. You know, me and my wife, we sit down and we'll watch TV shows or see celebrities and she'll tell me, I think he's attractive. Instantly in my head, I'm like, she just committed adultery in me. I'm not thinking that because if it doesn't go beyond that, right, if it's not going beyond because God made people and some people are really, really good looking. And to different people, good looking means is, different. Yeah. I mean, go Be throughout human history and good looking changes vastly. Yeah. And what does it say? Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So yes. all of it changes, but it is kind of understanding that it, it goes from, I think what Jesus is trying to describe here is that it, it's, you look at a woman uh, for the purpose of feeding our inner sensual appetites um, as a substitute for the act. So it's going into the mind and we're looking there and it's not accidental. It's a planned thing. It's something that we're doing. I read this and I thought it was really cool. It said, wicked actions begin with lustful thoughts. So it's important. So it is important that we get rid of such thoughts as soon as they arrive. I think that Jesus really coming in is so concerned with our actual purity, that we are pure all the way through and understanding that where that starts with is that thought. Because if you can take that thought and hold it captive and really, you know, subdue it, if it's not one that you should have and get rid of it or, you know, turn it. However, then that's the only way that you can stay pure. Because mm -hmm. if you're just relying on, well, I'm pure because I didn't commit adultery. Like, you know what, dude, you might be really close to doing that because of whatever you've been viewing with your eyes and whatever you've been thinking in that head of yours. You know, like, let's not see how close you can get just because you haven't actually done it yet. Jesus is like, no, let's purify the whole thing from the inside out. Then you'll actually be clean. I like that. Here I know Jesus is talking about what we look at as far as uh, other people and attractiveness and adultery and that. But I think lust, it, it has many avenues also. Like it could take us into the lust for power, the lust for position, the lust for just wanting more. I think what really it comes down to with the idea and what Jesus is warning us here is that lust imposes upon us the belief that happiness and contentment are impossible unless we have what we want. 
and we're unhappy until we get what we want. Um, I, I used to watch a show called Scrubs. And on there, the main character, JD, uh, really liked the girl named Elliot. And there was a moment where they weren't together. They weren't in a relationship. And she was dating someone else. And he did everything he could to like break up that relationship. And he finally did it. And she picked him. And he put his arm around her. And she, she said, yes, now we have each other forever. And then his face went like shocked. And he was like, the inner monologue thing on the show went, oh, no, I don't really want this. You know, he chased and pursued something for so long until he realized... And that's kind of what lust does to us, right? It, it makes us like, we want something, we want something. And then finally, when it's there, you realize it's not what we really wanted. It was just a substitute. Well, yeah. And I think that really looking at lust from the biblical perspective, is it something that we, the way the Bible says it, is that like we have this thing that we call the flesh, the sinful flesh, the thing that is the part of you that does desire the negative things. It's the part that opposes the good things of God. And lust is one of those. And it's like it is a power or an energy source or a control in your life that wants to take control and really give you that tunnel vision that you're talking about. There was like, I see that thing. I want that thing. I'm focusing on that thing. And it really, when you're doing that, you lose self-control. You, you, you lose reasoning. You lose sight of the things that actually matter. And especially when we're looking at this thing, he's talking about adultery. I was like, Oh man, if you are married, you really better be loving your wife or your husband and viewing that as important. And when lust moves in, you're no longer seeing that as important. You've been fully given over to pursuing this thing that in your right mind, you'd go, I don't actually want that. But it's this wicked energy, power control that resides within you, obviously, and it just it's trying to screw you up. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, I think, even the idea, and I want to, I'll get into it a little more, but when he keeps warning about hell, like uh, in the later verses, you know, cut off, it's better for you to have one eye than, and, than to fall in hell. It's the warning of like lust and what it does to you really destroys and it can take you down a path you don't want to go to. What is it in James where, where it talks about when you give into sin, you give birth or you become pregnant with sin. And then when you, or... Temptation, right? Is it? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know the verse better than I do. Why don't you find it and say it so that way I don't stumble through it like a dummy? All right. So, yeah, it's in James 1. Basically, you know, let no one say when he's being tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God can't tempt anyone with evil. He himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And even looking at that, like that's the whole warning I think Jesus is giving us when it comes to lust and what it can do to us when we let it consume us. It becomes, it starts forming, and there's a real warning behind it, I think, that uh, I, I really think he's trying to let everyone know. Got to tell you, there's going to be a lot that we're going to get into <laughs> with this. This is just the beginning. One thing that, as I was going through, that I really started to look at is, you know, last week we were looking at anger, and then this week we're in lust, and then next week is divorce. And beyond that is keeping your promises, and then retaliating against the evil. And really, when we look at our relationships, and especially this one here, when we're looking at um, don't commit adultery, you know, we're looking at those relationships between a man and a wife. And obviously, sexual stuff can happen um, with single people as well. But man, if you start getting angry with your spouse, they aren't as desirable to you anymore. So that's kind of like last week, you have the anger. And if that anger starts building up and pretty soon your spouse is an idiot, or there's this or there's that. And you know, that comes in between. 
then this lust issue, all of a sudden, somebody else looks a lot better. It's no longer your spouse is the beloved anymore, you know, and then mm. that moves in. And then if you don't get control on that lust, next week, we're looking at divorce. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just not that that's why all those three were given in that order. But we can really see that we are complex beings. And when we're dealing with these different temptations of our own and these emotions and these different stuff, is that if we aren't seeking to follow Jesus and really purify ourselves and not just keep ourselves from outward actions, like you can end up in a really big mess, both really quickly and gradually. Yeah, I like that you brought that up too, because in Proverbs 5, 18, uh, 20, it says, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. And then it jumps into this. Why, my son, be intoxicated by another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? And it's such, you know, in the Proverbs right there, there's so much good wisdom. And it's even what Jesus is talking about here. The idea of like when you're married, your wife or your spouse should be your number one focus and priority. That should be the be blessed and rejoice in your in your wife uh, and be intoxicated with her. Like if you're intoxicated with her and not angry, you're not looking at something else on the other side or you're not thinking the grass could always be greener on the other side or whatever. You're focused on her. You're intoxicated her. And I like how the psalmist or the, the, the Proverbs author writes, why not? Why my son be intoxicated? Why do that? Mm-hmm. She's a wayward woman. Why even do that? Why embrace that? In my Bible, you know, the I think it's in Ephesians where it gives the like rules of like households, husbands, uh, honor your wives, wives submit to your husbands or husbands. It says something about holy uh, with your wife. And in there, I circled it because when I look at the word holy, it always means set apart. Mm-hmm. And the concept I got from that, what Paul is trying to say is set your wife apart. And I wrote that in this Bible because this Bible I'm going to give to my son just so that he understands this. Because when your spouse isn't set apart in your eyes, they're not different from everyone else. Then it's very easy to start letting the eyes wander and looking elsewhere because your heart's not there. And I think that's what Jesus is getting to when he's talking about lust and adultery here in this part is that your heart has to be committed to someone. We even look at the idea of adultery when we betray God and chase after other things and he's no longer number one and we lust after the things the world has to offer. Because he's no longer number one, I want something else to replace him. And in our marriage, that has to be protected and taken care of. Yeah. Oh, that's really good points. And that's the thing, bringing in the relationship with God even there, right? It's kind of as parents, you learn about God as a father because you Mm -hmm. become a father or a mother, right? And you get to see that. And then as a spouse, you also relate to God from that spousal role, which in the Old Testament, God was always saying like, hey, I'm like a husband to you. And when Israel screwed up and went another way, he was calling them an adulterous nation and an adulterous generation that, you know, was cheating on him. Like it was supposed to be that closeness of a relationship. And man, adultery is such a serious, serious thing. I think that in a way, again, going back to our culture, maybe not taking things as serious, because how many movies have you seen where people are cheating on each other and it's just become so normalized? And then we see so many movies, so many TV shows, and then it's, oh, you know what? It happened to a friend. It happened to a family member. It happened to you, (laughs) you know? And it's just like, it is so serious. And everybody that's gone through that will tell you, man, mistakes were made. 
And coming back to what you were saying is really set apart your spouse because you've made that commitment to your spouse. Mm -hmm. You've made that covenant promise that you're saying, I will not leave you. We're seeing this thing through to the very end. Whatever that thing means, we will always find a way to reconcile. We will always find a way to love. We'll always find a way to forgive. And I think that it's a really sorry excuse that for me to look at my spouse and blame her for the reasons I can't look at her in a loving way. Well, I just can't bring myself to love you. I can't bring myself to forgive you. I can't bring myself to, it's like, am I not a loving person? Like, you know, yeah, you, we, there might be stuff in there that needs to be worked on. But if I'm just going to excuse my lack of love towards you for everything that you've done, it's like, if I'm not loving you, why would I even think that you're going to love me back? There needs to be a mutual love going on. Right. I think that's a lot of uh, good stuff. Um, so let's go to our break and listen to see what, uh, I think it's Luster's, Luster's Prosthetics. Let's see what they have to offer people. Hi, I'm Lusters of Lusters Prosthetics, the number one retail warehouse of quality prosthetics. Here at Lusters, we believe in one simple philosophy, be the best. We don't need a fancy jingle or music to go with our ads because we are the best, because our customers deserve the best. From head to toe, literally and figuratively, we have the best quality and prices. Don't waste your time lurking all over the internet. Lusters is the very best. When you're the very best, next day shipping without all of the gouging fees isn't a problem. Here at Lusters, we make it happen. We cut out the middleman and go direct to the manufacturer to ensure that our products are made using the best material ever, such as top-grade leather, solid wood, and high-density foam. Because if Lusters claims to be the best, our quality must be the best. Through our own in-house scientific research and extensive studies, we are more than certain no one can come close to providing you with a better quality prosthetic. Right eye, Lusters has you covered. Hand, Lusters can surely help you with that. All with the peace of mind that your satisfaction is guaranteed. Remember, if there wasn't any lust, there wouldn't be Lusters prosthetics. Lusters, being the best at prosthetics since 1972. Hey Remy, hey Casey, what are you up to? Oh, nothing, just watching some videos on YouTube. That's cool, what are you watching? Our dad's on their YouTube channel. Our dads have a YouTube channel? Yes, they do. They also have a Facebook group page and an Instagram account. Wow, really? What else do they have? They also have a Teespring account where they sell t-shirts. Where can I find this information? All the links can be found in the descriptions below. That's so awesome. What's the name of the channel again? It's your church friends. Get out of here, Reed! All right, we're back with the second half of the this episode. Um, we were, we ended off with like kind of talking about marriage and everything and how to like protect or where you value your spouse and where you place them at and adultery and even how the children of Israel were when they kind of turned and worshipped other gods. God mentioned them as being an adulterous generation. Right. Um, I read this and it was really cool. It was an actually the the concept of a hedge of protection. And so in the Bible, the word hedge is always used to protect. It's a picture of protection. And so I read this uh, little clipping. I don't even know where, but it was somewhere. It said, During the Allied invasion of France in 1944, 
a lot of fighting was done in areas bordered by hedgerows. Hedgerows were mounds of earth situated along roads between fields. These mounds, which were measured between 4 to 8 feet high and as much as 10 feet thick, were heavily planted with trees and shrubs. During the war, the dense growth made them tough barriers for armies to get through. In addition, areas surrounded by hedgerows could easily be defended by few troops. And when I looked at that, and when Jesus kind of brings back, you have heard, don't commit adultery. Really, the idea of like the seventh commandment that God gave us was putting a hedgerow of protection around us or, or a hedge of protection around our marriage, uh, that there should be a, a strong barrier that's meant to keep the union safe and to keep out temptation. So that way, everything's protected. And I actually have some points because I like doing the point things. I have uh, how, to hedge, how to have a hedge of protection in your marriage. And the first thing is secure your mind. Uh, yeah. We all know that the battle, either for male or female, it's either won or lost in the mind. And when I thought of that, I thought of Philippians 4.8, you know, um, whatever it is, righteous, pure, noble, put your mindset on that. So I think the first thing we want to do if we want to put a hedge of protection around our family and our marriage is protect our mind. Uh, the second thing is uh, block out temptation. It's more than just avoiding it. It's it's severing, and we're going to get into that in a little bit later, but it's severing an attachment that threatens your marriage Basically, flee from temptation. Don't put that stuff in in front of you. The third thing is recognize your weakness. Don't be overconfident and fall. Um, I think we could all be a little too overconfident in certain areas where, especially with lust, where we could think, oh, I could look at this or I could put myself in that situation. But we really don't know like what that's doing to our brain in the long run. And the last thing is uh, protect your marriage. So if you're married now, uh, build a hedge of, of affection around your marriage. And if you're single, start building it. You know, this, this, all this information is good for both. If you're single and listening to this, like you're getting hit with tons of stuff left and right by what the world says you should or shouldn't do. But here, if you're married, like protect it, put that affection around, kind of like we were talking about for the break. So I kind of want to start off this, this half with that, um, because Jesus then gets into some like stuff here, right? Right. But I wanted to talk about that because people listening so far might be like, oh, this is just like married people talking about marriage Mm -hmm. stuff and everything. And it's. When you bring it to, we are joined to God in a marriage covenant. This has so much more to do with every individual. In scripture, it talks about sexual sin and like, don't join your body to a prostitute. You know, don't Mm -hmm. join your body in an adulterous type of way, you know, whether you're single or whatever, because your body is the temple of God. When people bring up, oh, my body's the temple of God, that verse is directly linked to sexual sin. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with like, oh, don't put tattoos on your body or eat healthy. <laughs> like or any of that is like literally tied to the sexual sin. So if you're single and you're hearing this, it's like you are married right now. If you're a believer, you're married. You're in a covenant relationship with God and that comes foremost. And the sexual sin will cause you to be adulterous in that. This isn't to do purely with, you know, human to human marriage, which that definitely comes in and there's that full application there as well. I like that. I remember being in like a college ministry, which you are kind of the pastor of now, right? 20s and 30s. Uh, so I remember when I was in my early 20s being in what we called fuel, you now call belong. Um, and they did, uh, one of the pastors did a message and they had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And one was peanut butter, one was jelly, and they put it together and they said, now separate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you did, there was jelly in the peanut butter and there's peanut butter on the jelly. You couldn't have like the slices be what they were again. Um, so the idea was basically for us single people with sexual temptations and lust, you really don't know what you're 
what you're smashing together, which I could probably phrase better, but <laughs> this is why we warned you not to have your kids, <laughs> right? Uh, which when you put those two together, um, there's always a piece of you that comes off, and there's always a piece of them that comes with you, and that's not what God wanted us for us in our life during that during that portion of your time in life. And really, that's where for as much stupid as I've done in my life, as much sin, as much different things, is that when it comes down to this, you know, keeping yourself and looking at that marriage and protecting the marriage, not everybody's going to get married. And there's definitely nothing wrong with staying single and devoting your life to God. And there's actually a huge benefit there that the Bible talks about. But you don't know whether or not that's going to happen. But looking at protecting the marriage that you could possibly have in the future like out of all of the drugs and the thievery and the law breaking and everything that I ever did, one thing that I look back on is like, man, I really wish that if I could go back and slap younger me, say, pay attention, stay far, far away from the sexual stuff, save that for only your wife. That belongs to her. You are not allowed to give that away to anybody else because until you're married and that aspect comes into it, it's like you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. with it like you're playing with something that's far beyond and like you're just taking away from like i don't know there's just so much there that should be there that let it be the right thing right and trust me it's not worth it <laughs> <laughs> the night a few nights and like whatever just like whatever fun you think you're having you're missing out on such depth and such meaningfulness and such the godly aspect and the spiritual depth that comes between you and your spouse joining together, like to waste that on a boyfriend or a girlfriend that who knows if they're going to be there or somebody that you meet somewhere that just sparks flies, like that is lust. While we're getting into it, might as well. Like God created sex and the real concept of sex, like the world has just totally demolished and smudged and made it look bad, even to the point where people who think Christians, what the Christian view of sex, that we think it's bad and it's wrong and you shouldn't be doing it like that. That's <laughs> Hold on. Sex is amazing. <laughs> right. Like It's a great thing and it's a great experience. But there are guidelines and rules to the experience. There, there are things and, and the rules and the guidelines aren't there to make it less fun or less enjoyable. It's actually to enhance it and heighten the experience and make it more of a fulfilling thing. I heard a pastor friend once tell me that him and his wife pray in the middle of sex. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was weird because there's no way I'm doing that. But man, what an experience that must have been, you know, like that they get to do that. So I, again, the Christian concept isn't that sex is bad and sex is wrong. God created it, obviously, and anything God created is good. But when it's done the way he's intended it for us to be, it's an even better experience than you could ever imagine. It's the idea of, I've heard a preacher say this before, it's it's dad's house, it's dad's rules. You know, I didn't, I don't own the house, it's not mine, it's his rules. And when it's his rules, they're meant to be there for a reason. And too, I mean, just as far as experience-wise and everything, just like, it's fine enjoy it but also when it's not your spouse you are worried and don't want the natural effects of sex Mm -hmm. which is children man when it's between you and your spouse the child comes along you're like wow what a blessing from god or you know you're looking at that and hopefully you're you know equipped to be able to handle that and everything but you're never equipped to handle that (laughs) to to a point though you know (laughs) but if it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend it's just like oh no Mm -hmm. If it's somebody that you have on the side, it's, oh, no. Like, I wanted some of this. I didn't want the fullness of this. Mm -hmm. So then again, you're taking the 
what God had fully built in there. It wasn't just like, hey, you have pleasure points that go on and those are going to get triggered. It's like you get that and possibly a child. And when you're taking what God had created the full purpose for it and saying, you know what? I don't care about your purpose. I'm only going to take this side that's fully selfish and dealing with meeting my own pleasures and lusts. Mm -hmm. You're dividing something there that shouldn't be divided. And then you end up with a world where how many abortions happen or how many kids that are actually birthed and then don't have a parent or two or different. You know, it's just so much comes from it because you're following after the lust. Yeah. And we're talking about like physically two people going out there and having sex. But there's even now in today's day and age, this, I mean, the internet's full of exploring and and we can now emulate a relationship with someone just by ourselves at home. And uh, like pornography is so rampant out there. I remember as being a kid. A magazine? A magazine. It was a cut up magazine too that was all like folded and, you know, you're looking at this. But you had to go out of your way to find something like that. And now in society, like any device, you could pull up something instantly. You could get hit with a pop-up ad. Like it's in our face and it's right there. And there's so much damage done alone from just pornography and what it does to you as a person. I read uh, something. It's from the website uh, Fight the New Drug. It's not even a Christian website. But the effects that pornography has on our brain is the same effect that cocaine has. That This desire to want. Like it releases dopamines that we want more. We want more. And it does so much bad to our to our lives. And um, I, this is a cool little thing that I read. It's from, uh, I think it's from the Fight the Drug or it's CovetTheEyes.com. All these are great resources. If you struggle with pornography or anything like that, there's Covet the Eyes. Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes. We should, we'll put these in the show notes. Yeah, there I'll will have be them links somewhere. to resources. Triple X Church.com. And there's uh, the, the other Fight the New Drug. But in there it said, uh, it seems so obvious, says Playboy writer Damien Brown. If we invent a machine, the first thing we are going to do after making a profit is use it to watch porn. In the last 150 years, pornography has ridden on the hills of new technology, from photographs to film projects, from VHS to DVDs, from the World Wide Web to smartphones. You name it, Brown says, pornography planted its big flag there first, or at least shortly thereafter. We'd like to believe Christians are immune to the prevalence of pornography, but Paul Fishman, founder of Adult Video News, is right when he says, porn doesn't have a demographic, it goes across all demographics. Like it's there. You you mentioned that earlier in the beginning of the show, like the world is just changing. It's in our face. So it's always there. But I think there's so much bad that why Jesus is warning us from lusting from whatever we see, whatever we let into our eyes. Um, because when it comes in, it's there. And like I mentioned earlier, it changes our brainwaves. There's so much to that. And knowing what I know on the technology side, it's like, when what was it that was coming up there was like a thing called an hd dvd or a blu-ray and mm-hmm. those two were battling it out the reason why we have blu-rays and not hd dvds is because porn decided we are going to put our films on blu-ray and at each time when we had a format change as far as how our media is stored and used it's always been whatever the porn industry decided they're going to put their media on that's what won like it's a historical fact that that's what's happened And especially when we look at the way that the internet is shaped and everything else, I think it's something that between, I think it's somewhere around 38% of all internet traffic has to do with pornography. Uh, 25. Okay, well. Uh, 35% of downloads from the internet are pornographic. Okay, so downloads. Mm -hmm. But um, then we get into the interesting thing of how far away have we moved? Because what we consider pornographic today, dude, do you realize that on I Love Lucy, 
they wouldn't show Lucy and Ricardo in bed together. Right. They had two separate beds. It was not a cool thing to show a man and a woman in bed, fully clothed. I mean, they had full long sleeve pajamas on and stuff, right? <laughs> it wasn't until the later seasons that that even came about. There was laws that were in place that, dude, a bikini? You can't go out in public in a bikini. Like, you know, different stuff. Not to pick only on the women, but just different stuff to show. And not that fully that needs to be a law, but just to show that our concept as far as what is okay and the sexualization of things I mean, it is mind-boggling the way that we look at sex and what's acceptable. How far gone are mm-hmm. we right now? And I really do think that the prevalence of porn is a huge one because we get these things that, A, whether you're in the church or out of the church, it's like, what, 50%-ish of people yeah. watch? Do you have the numbers on that? Uh, let me see on my statistic sheets. It's a... Uh... 70% of men age 18 to 24 visit porn on a, at least once per month. And it's 40 million Americans say they regularly visit porn sites. And those are people that will admit. So again, what was the first thing we start off? It is far too late to think that this isn't something that we should right. attack. And maybe it's because we've on our YouTube videos, we've been doing this James conviction series and we just did one of those so i'm in the conviction type of mode it's like dude i struggled with this like i can admit i I struggled with drugs i struggled drinking i struggled with thievery i struggled with everything so it's like here's one more thing big surprise that like (laughs) i was a bad person but it's weird i did cocaine i was a cocaine dealer i only dealt cocaine so that i could do more cocaine i would drive down the street with a straw inside of a baggie snorting cocaine as i drove past you the grace of god was able to allow me to completely give that up in a very quick way. You know the biggest struggle that I had? Dude, it wasn't cocaine. It wasn't meth. It wasn't cigarettes. It wasn't weed. It was porn. Mm-hmm. Porn was the one thing I was like, why am I addicted to this? And it's created such a craving in my mind that I hate myself for watching this because I'm looking at, that's somebody's daughter. This is shameful. This is promoting human trafficking. I want to keep myself pure. I don't want to be doing this. But here I am watching this again and again and again. It ruined my life for years trying to just struggle through that thing. So the struggle's real. And if we're just going to ignore it, like porn isn't a problem and this whole lust thing isn't a problem. I think that's where Jesus is saying, yo, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the members in your whole body. Or if your right hand, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better to use one of your members in your whole body. And just like, oh no, but I need my social media accounts. Oh no, but I need my smartphone. Oh no, but I need my computer. Oh no, but I need access to these things. And it's just like, how stupid are you that you've not learned that you having that thing right now is so dangerous to you that it is screwing up your life? Obviously, Jesus isn't talking about like literally ripping out your eyeball because if we're talking about everything is the heart of an issue or what have you or like cutting off your hand, like that's obviously not what he's telling us to go around here with. Right? Wait, real quick, because I know you're going to make a point. But um, somehow I always end up doing like the announcements at churches and stuff. And at my old church, I had, I was doing like some work and stuff um, and I got a ton of stuff in my eye and it was so irritated that I was wearing an eye patch. <laughs> And I got up to give the announcements that Sunday and I was wearing an eye patch. I was like, yeah, man, I'm sure you guys are all wondering what's going on here. But, you know, I was reading in the Bible that, you know, if you struggle with the lust, (laughs) you should pluck out your eye. So here I am wearing an eye patch. And I was already married at this point. And like afterwards, (laughs) my pastor came and was like, you know, don't do that. (laughs) 
that's not the joke to be made. No. Anyways. <laughs> uh, but obviously, uh, Jesus isn't telling us to do that. But uh, it's the point of uh, what you were saying. Cut it out of your life. And it's, it's such a radical, again, Jesus coming in here with this idea, like this radical concept that we have to deal with sin radically. Yes. We can't deal with sin. Sin isn't our friend. Sin isn't like our buddy like we think it is. And isn't going to play fair. It is not like, oh, well, this is as far as this should go. Yeah, it's going to take you to the road. And that's why he's saying it's better to do all that than to go to hell. It will take you down that road to hell. Porn and lust will take you to adultery. It will. Even the idea of what porn does itself, the it isolates you, it ruins your relationships, it kills uh, your confidence, it supports human trafficking, which you brought up, it's addictive forming, it fuels shame and hopelessness, and for men it causes ED. And what it does to the brain, it, it decreases our sexual satisfactions, um, it disconnects us from real people, where I read this, it's from The Demise of Guys, uh, it's a book that was written, it says, this is the first time in U.S. history that our sons are having less education than, our fa- than their fathers. When confronted with the with an abundance of women, men become promiscuous uh, and are unwilling to commit to a monogamous relationship. The statement made made us wonder how easy access to sex affects men's motivation to achieve uh, other life goals. Given the choice over masturbating, over online pornography, uh, and going out on a date with a real girl, that is to say a real girl who doesn't look like a porn star or isn't wearing lingerie, most men say they will prefer online porn. So this is real and what it's doing and the attack at the family, the attack at it's such a an attack that we're not even seeing at the family that where guys aren't even trying to achieve things. They're not even trying to have relationships or or want marriage or have kids because they'd rather just stay at home and get the satisfaction. Um, the idea that porn lowers our view of women and it, it makes us super degrading. Them. Yeah, uh, it desensitizes us to cruelty and it makes us want to watch more and more and more. Um it's just always there in front of us. I mentioned earlier that the idea that porn changes our brainwaves, uh, viewing porn releases powerful mood-altering chemicals that literally rewire your brain yeah. until you want it more. Uh, so the stuff is real, and it's not playing fair, and it's in our face, and Jesus is saying, you need to get it out. Uh, even in Colossians, he, Colossians 3.5, So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Uh, don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, uh, worshiping the things of this world. And then Romans 12, 1 through 2, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God, because all of this has been done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors or the customs of the world, which we're seeing infiltrate in this lust in the church, right? But let God transform you into a new person, changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is a good and pleasing and perfect. And even in all those verses, it's the concept of we've got to cut this out. We've got to renew our brain. We've got to change it. We've got to play. The rules aren't fair, so we've got to radically do something. And and I think this is what Jesus is warning everyone. Lust will come into your life and destroy you. That idea of hell... All that stuff we read about pornography and even adultery, what it does to the family, that's living hell. That's me living hell. So Jesus is warning them, like, don't do this. And it's a warning that we still have to take. And the only alternative solution is cut it out. And see, that's where people laugh at the idea of like celibacy and abstinence and Mm -hmm. all this stuff. And just like, 
this is also where I feel that having a conversation and expecting people who don't believe in God and haven't had this new transformation by the, you know, Holy Spirit in their lives to be like, oh yeah, you should like not and try and hold them to godly standards. Like we should definitely promote it. But when you have people who have no interest in following godly standards, all telling you like, oh, being absent is stupid. Nobody will do that. You're basically going like, oh yeah, I have a daughter. I'm just going to full on like not even care about the fact that some guy, whether older, same age, whatever, is just going to come and completely like take that from her and abuse her in that way. And whether or not marriage or whatever, just like, well, I could expect nothing less than that. Mm -hmm. It's like you are giving up on your role as a father. Yeah. And when you are watching pornography yourself, you are doing that to somebody else's daughter and just so on and so on and so on. And again, I really bring it back to how far have we gone because of how accepting we are of things. I mean, you watch a high school movie, it's prom. You expect that somebody's going to be having sex, but then take it even further back from that to as far as guiding your eyes is that how many sex scenes have you seen and you think nothing of it. And that's a scary thing because you just saw somebody of the opposite gender not very clothed, interacting in something, and you thought nothing of that, and you know what that's going to do? It's going to cause you that when you're out in public and you look at somebody of the opposite gender who's wearing more clothes, you're going to think nothing of that. Mm -hmm. Where did your eyes just go? How long did you think about that thing? Because if you don't think anything of seeing somebody having sex, then that's just a huge indicator that you are not guarding your eyes, you are not keeping things holy, and is leading. That is the lust. <laughs> like, right. Oh, but you're being a Christian. You're being too hard. You're saying I can't watch an R-rated movie. You can do whatever you want to do, but suffer the consequence. Right. Because the consequence comes. You don't get to pick, oh, I'll do this and not have the consequence. That's not how it works. What you sow, you reap. When it was popular and first came out, uh, so many people told me, hey, you should watch Games of Thrones. And I was like, okay. <laughs> It, you know, it's got dragons, they said. It's got, like, wizards. And I was like, cool. And I never watched it because when I read about it, it was like, I mean, basically the movie or the show is just nothing but naked people having sex left and right. <laughs> no, I, I tried to watch it a couple times, and I kept falling asleep. And I woke up to, I'm not sure if the proper term is midget or dwarf or little person, but that, I don't know the actor's name, otherwise I'll use his name. Peter Dinklage. Peter Dinklage. I woke up twice to just like his bare butt in, in the midst of an act. So I was like, yeah, this isn't the show for me. I never made it past the 10 minutes that I watched. And But it, as Christians, like that, yeah. that it's acceptable. People within church are watching the show. And really what you're just putting into your eyes is pornography. That That's what it is. And you're right on that the idea of what makes you think that you're going to be able to see something like that and walk out and look at someone down the street and not let your mind go there. Uh, and this is what Jesus is warning us of. This is the warning that what you put into your eyes, what goes in, eventually goes into your mind. And what the world does uh, in all this is, is it alters what we think. And no longer are we putting the things that are righteous, noble, and worthy above that. We're putting that desire above it. So what do you do? You've got to get rid of it. Um, you've got to cut it off. Some of the best ways I know in doing that is accountability, being honest with people. You got like seriously, when it comes to the lust stuff, that's probably one that you are not talking to somebody about because you are walking in so much shame. Yeah. And especially if it's moved on to the actual act of adultery. Like there is so much shame and fear and everything around that that you're walking around carrying that 
for as much as you don't want to, mm-hmm. you need to go and tell somebody. And, and to get help to get people get rid of the shame, it's not an unpardonable sin. You know, it is a sin, but it's and something you can get freedom from. But the first step is you freedom. need to get yes. This. So to to help people remove the idea of like I'm too embarrassed or this and that, find someone you can talk to that's going to help you through it. I gave some websites earlier. Uh, CovenantEyes.com is a good place. They help you with your computer and help get things so that you can't go to those sites. Same thing with TripleXChurch.com. Um, Fight the New Drug is pretty cool too. I think uh, it might be Covenant Eyes or Fight the New Drug, but they actually have online support where you can go and talk to people online, have online life groups where they could help you. But this is a, this is something that needs to be radically fought and it needs to be drastically done. There's no like tiptoeing around this. This isn't like I shouldn't eat chocolate, but I'll just have one piece of candy to get me over my my craving for chocolate. This is something that's really, really in you and it's deep. And this is when we've talked about like all these things, roots, like anger. We talked about the root. This is a root that goes so far deep that if you don't start pulling at it, uh, the warning is there. Jesus is saying it. Hell is the option. Like there's no in between. This is going to take you there. But yeah, I I think the important thing is we got to cut it out. Yeah. And I've got a couple of things just on my end as far as wrapping it up is a huge thing for people who keep finding themselves in porn is in lust issues. It's a huge one is, hey, man or woman, if you've ha- had sexual trauma, abuse, whatever in your past, that stuff can just play out in seeking out lust now. But a huge one, especially for guys that can keep driving to porn, is that if you don't have purpose in your life. It's shown that that's one of the biggest mm-hmm. things that you go to porn it's because you have no purpose. You have no direction. You have nothing forming to like what today should be for and why you should be involved in that thing and actually finding an abundance in your life of that. If you've opened that door to porn, like you just default to that. And it's a weird thing between purpose and porn and just like a big fighting tool is really start looking at your life and applying yourself and going towards a goal. Because when you start applying yourself in a positive way, that's actually a big solution to it. And that leads to the second thing that I want to say is just, we also really need to explore and talk about and teach our children and talk Mm -hmm. about it as far as what the huge benefits and joy of only having eyes for your spouse. Yeah of having a lifelong marriage that isn't marred by a pornography or adultery or any of that stuff and divorce that comes from that, that you are so fulfilled with the idea of having a family and that the best thing in the world that, man, I can like find somebody to spend my life with and we can have all of these little people running around that are an absolute handful and like sometimes question, why did I do this? Mm -hmm. But that that is such an amazing purpose in life, not that, hey, you know what the fun thing to do? Like, let's go out to a club. Let's go drinking. Let's see yeah. who we can meet. Let's see who we can meet. And let's just like, you are selling yourself so cheap and you're giving up something of such worth that if we could possibly start communicating just what the joys and the positive side of having a family, of having a spouse and just of staying celibate. Maybe you never have a family and a spouse, but like staying celibate and keeping yourself guarded, you're in such a confident mode of living I don't know. There's just so much positive. It's not just, hey, stop doing the bad thing. It's like, look at the good thing. Yeah. And it's the modeling. Uh, we model that uh, relationship, that affection and that love that to our children. I, I keep reading it over because I'm going through the Old Testament right now a lot more than the New Testament. The 
tell this generation mm-hmm. and the next generation and the next generation. You want them to know God's ways and his laws. And I think one thing that we have failed in society is that we're not modeling marriage the way it should be, the way God wants it to be, um, and the way he had intended it to be. But, um, yeah, what a fun conversation, right? And uh, being your church friends, this is for episode four or five, I, I can't remember, but here we got into it. And I think being your church friends, we want to be able to have these fun conversations or at least these interesting conversations that go beyond just the normal stuff. But really, uh, we didn't bring this up. The Bible did. So if you're unhappy with what we talked about, uh, it's all from the Bible. It's all there. Um, so with that, I'm Chris. And I'm Murdoch. And we will talk to you guys next time. See you later. Bye.